Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I do hope you'll join me on this amazing journey together through the Word of God. We're in episode 15 of season 3, and we're currently working through the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you're joining us here today for the first time, it's useful to know that there's always a full transcript of everything I say available in the episode notes of the podcast. And there's also links there to other ways you can connect to my ministry and to the resources I make available, not only here through The Main Thing, which is the Bible Project podcast, but also some other projects and teaching that I make available on YouTube, on Facebook, and even on my LinkedIn and Patreon pages. But with that said, it's bye for now, and let's dive off straight into the main text again. Okay, we're picking up today in our second of two days, episode 16 in fact, of our journey together through Matthew. And we're spending two days looking at this trial, test, temptation of Jesus that is detailed for us in Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. So we saw last time that Jesus faced his first temptation. Well, let's remind ourselves of what the text says. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now when we look at this verse, we can see his immediate answer is he says, It is written. This puts the whole temptation into clear focus. Satan has come and said, make these stones into bread. And Jesus said, no, you've got it wrong, Satan. Man, humanity does not live by bread alone. And the key word here is alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So Jesus here is actually quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, which means he meets Satan head on with scripture. So how do we overcome temptation? Well, we do it in the same way. We do it, first of all, by knowing Scripture, and then secondly, by knowing when and how to apply it. So this first temptation was to disobey the will of God, to take a legitimate need and try and meet it in an illegitimate way. Satan sang, follow the cravings of your own flesh, your own bodily desires, and Jesus says, no, I have to live by the word of God. And then he quotes this verse from Deuteronomy to make his point. So that's the first temptation. And let's now look at the second of these three temptations that he faces. The first was the devil trying to tempt him to be disobedient to God's will. But the second is to do with disbelieving God's word. Now keep in mind that Jesus has just quoted scriptures to Satan. So Satan comes back and says, okay, two can play at that game. Well, let's see what he says. So the devil then took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. So here's him quoting the scriptures. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
So Satan says here, yeah, let's trade scriptures, and he throws back Psalm 91. So in a sense, he's almost playing a little game here. But the thing we need to understand is that when he, when Satan quotes the scripture, he quotes a portion of it, but he quotes it out of the context of the whole passage that it sits within. So I think it's very important that we just take a moment and look at the original passage that it comes from and the context from within which this verse he quoted sits. So let me just read to you Psalm 91, but this time reading a couple of verses that preceding it from verses 9 to 12, which says, If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It then goes on to list many of the blessings of God that such a person will experience. Now, this passage makes no bones about the fact that first the person has to make the Lord their refuge. And because of that decision, no evil shall then prevail against them. Get the picture? God promises to protect those who trust him. And Satan conveniently leaves that caveat out when he quotes the scripture. In other words, Satan is misusing scripture in order to try and tempt Jesus. I studied a Shakespeare play called The Merchant of Venice when I was about 15 years old. And in that Shakespeare's play, I remember that one of the main characters said, the devil can cite scripture for his purposes. And that is true, because here we see it here. And the way he does it, he does it so he can deceive people, obviously, but he usually tries to make them think they'll gain some earthly pleasure by doing the thing that they shouldn't. Satan, in his use of scripture, is always using it to disguise temptations. I don't know how many people have said to me when discussing problems they have in their life or even sin in their lives, where they will say to me, but the Bible says. And then what they usually do is quote something totally out of context, something that shows they have totally missed the point. But that's not what we need to do. The point I'm making here is we not only need to know what the Bible says, but we need to know what it means. And hopefully, by being on this journey together of not just reading the Word of God, but studying the Word of God, we're doing something about addressing that needs in our lives here today and every day. So how does Jesus meet this temptation? Well, let's look at how he responds. Verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Jesus is saying, You should trust the Lord, not test the Lord. What Satan wants him to do and wants us to do is put God to the test to see if he will do what he has promised to say he will do. But if you think about that for a moment, it's very clear that what you're actually doing is is you're testing God to see if he will deliver upon the scripture promises that you've seen. And that is just a fancy way of saying you don't actually believe what it says in his word. And in this case, the way Satan misuses scripture, it's not even an accurate representation of what the scriptures actually said or meant. So that is why this second temptation is one that we too can take to heart. It's a temptation to disbelieve what God's word said. 
But there's one more temptation thrown at Jesus. The first was about being disobedient to God's will. The second was to do with disbelieving God's word. But the third has to do with disregarding the worship of God in your life. Look at verse 8 and 9 again. It says, The devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. Now this one's interesting. He seemed to take him to an exceedingly high mountain where it said he can see all the kingdoms of the world. So most Bible experts would say this is actually some sort of vision. At any rate, he shows them all the kingdom of the world and Satan says to him, I'll give you all these. Now there's a couple of interesting things about this, a couple of interesting things going on here. In the first place, we know that Jesus is destined to rule all the nations as the king of kings. So he's being offered something that he's going to get anyway. But Satan here is suggesting he can offer him, he's showing him a shortcut, a way he can gain this early. And this, of course, means that Satan is showing him a way where he can do this but miss out the cross. Another fascinating thing about this is Satan says that he's going to give him all the nations of the world. And the question we have to ask is, does Satan have the right to do that? We know that Satan is said to be God of this world, but in what way is Satan God of this world? Well, I believe he is only the God of this world in the sense that when the world fell and the creation fell with it, then demonic forces were let loose and began to hold sway over the nations in the sense that the majority of people then as now today, have handed over their lives to be driven by these demonic forces. So he is the God of this world in that it's under his domain at this point in the sense that he has control of all the unregenerate souls and the kingdoms that they have built or are building. But the Bible teaches us that when Jesus comes back, he's going to conquer the devil and restore the world and gain the world legitimately. So again, the devil is tempting Jesus to take a shortcut, to cut out all that suffering and sacrifice stuff that Jesus knows he has to face. And he says, just worship me, he says, and you can have it all now, today. So how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then it says, the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So the first thing he says is away with you, Satan. And then he says, it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And this again is a direct quotation from the Bible, from the Pentateuch, in fact, a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter six. So Jesus reminds Satan that he's got it all wrong again. I'm not going to, I'm not meant to worship you. I am here to worship Father God and him only. And again, he meets this temptation head on by quoting scripture. Okay, that's the three temptations, all addressed head on by the quotation of scripture. Okay, let me try and sum this up and see if I can make some practical suggestions to how this applies and how this might help us today. What I think is straightforwardly says is God may test you. You may find that test yourself to be a trial, even a deeply difficult, agonizing trial. But very often at the same time as that test, 
Satan will appear and he'll try and tempt you. He'll try and tempt you by rather than saying, endure the trial and learn something about it, capitulate and disobey the will of God and disbelieve the word of God and disregard the worship of God and take his path instead. In short, simple sentences, Satan tempts you to ignore God, to disobey God and to not believe in who God is, what he said and what he does. Got it? That's Satan's plan. His plan is to get you to leave God completely out of the equation. And that, in a sense, is the essence of temptation. And I want to draw study of this passage to close by making a couple of observations. And I do hope by doing so I'll be able to give a few of us a few keys on how we too might overcome temptations in our lives. Would you like to know how to do that? Would you like to know how to beat the drives and temptations in your life that you know are dragging you down? Well, stick with me and I believe I can help you by pulling some stuff directly out of the Word of God. The first thing I want to do is make the observation that this is a very similar temptation to the one that occurred right at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. There's a similarity between this temptation, the ones presented to Christ, and those at the beginning of the Bible, the ones that actually led to the fall of man. And I think that this is fascinating. Do you remember the temptation in the Garden of Eden was the temptation to eat of the fruit of the tree that was forbidden by God? And what does Satan do here with Jesus? He tells him to turn stones into bread. So there is a sense you can see in which both passages are talking about a temptation that involves seeking earthly pleasure or seeking a physical response to an earthly need. So what this tells me, that the things that are most likely to lure us away from the will of God is pleasure-seeking. If you're looking at both passages closely, you will see they both come down to being tempted to go after immediate physical pleasure and short-term power. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't want you to have pleasure. And God, of course, does want you to have some agency in your life. And there is such a thing as pride in the sense that there is a legitimate place for it if you are being proud of something glorious, proud of something where you can see God's will or God's work occurring in it and through it. But how can we learn and what way can we learn to overcome temptation in our lives? And I think in this passage, there are three things I can give you. Very obviously, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. So that tells me the first thing you and I need to do to know what to do when it comes to overcoming temptation is is we've got to know the word of God and we've got to know it so that it's on our fingertips. Well, maybe a better way of saying so that it is on our lips when we need it to be. The word of God is going to need to be an integral part of the way you think going forward. And when you neglect time with the Lord and you neglect time in his word, there is a fact that we will become more vulnerable to temptation. Now, this time in the Word 
It's a growth process, a discipleship process. It's not just about citing verses and throwing them out there. It's about understanding what the verses mean, understanding the word of God in order that we can understand the will of God so that we know that in the moment we can make the right choices and not respond to transitory temptations so that we will know what we should or should not do. That's why the more you grow in your Christian faith and the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the better you become equipped to resist temptations, to resist the things that the devil is throwing at you and also enables you to overcome the trials of life and not respond in the wrong way and in effect to send the devil running, just like Jesus did. The Bible tells us that we are to be strong in the Lord, which leads me to my second point. As we progress through this Gospel of Matthew, as we go through, we're going to see that Jesus is going to teach us to pray. And one of the things he said in that prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, it tells us, lead us not into temptation. So the second thing we need to do is obviously pray. But an important point of this in relation to temptation is most Christians pray when they feel tempted but the lord's prayer if you notice it's telling us to pray before we are tempted don't wait until you face the temptation don't wait until you feel the pull of a temptation before you start praying the key is to pray before you are faced with a temptation now this type of prayer if you are studying God's word regularly, should naturally and intimately be linked with the study of the word. Because when we approach it, when we wrestle with the word, when we wrestle with what is God's will for our lives, we are struggling to discern what the word is trying to teach us. But what the scripture promises is that God by his Holy Spirit will lead us, will draw us to make some godly conclusions about what it says. And then our part is simply to take on them on board and to ask him for the strength to do what he tells us we should do. Now along the way, you're probably going to have some small skirmishes. You may even lose some small skirmishes before you tackle the big battles in your life. But as you go through that process, you will grow and you will grow continually until eventually you might one day be able to say you are strong in the Lord. It just means that you are able to remain firm in times of trial and be less likely to succumb to temptation. And remember, the Bible promises there's no trial that we will not be able to bear and there will be no temptation above which God will not enable us to have the victory. God is faithful and he will always provide you with a way of victory or escape. Victory over the trial or escape from temptation. Do you hear me out there? Can you men hear me out there? Listen, brethren, your desires should never overtake the will of God. And we do have strong drives and desires sometimes, don't we? But when those desires get strong, well, we can do what Jesus did. Look, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think he was hungry? Do you think his desire for food was strong? And yet he said, I would rather remain hungry in the will of God than experience a momentary pleasure in the will of Satan. So this is a warning and wisdom all wrapped up in one place in this passage. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So make no mistake, there is a way out. There is always a way out. And that way out becomes more visible the more we engage with this discipleship process of learning the will of God through the word of God then you will be able to face those choices that you will have along the way. But when it's a temptation, God will give you a way of escape. God will always provide you from a way of escape, but you must be prepared to flee when temptation appears in front of you. So if you're someone who is struggling maybe with a habitual sin or an addiction, here's what the word of God says you should do. He's saying don't fall for Satan's substitute. Don't fall for Satan's false solutions. If you've got pain in your life, friends, don't medicate it with drugs or alcohol. Turn to the Word of God and seek legitimate help. But you know, underpinning all of this is the fact you've got to know the Word of God so that you will know the will of God. And never forget this third thing. The third thing revealed here is God will always provide a way of escape. He will give you an opportunity to flee at the point of temptation, but you must take it. Let's not pretend we don't know exactly what's going on when we face temptation. We all do, and usually it saddles up beside us, sits in the seat next to us, and whispers in our ear. So maybe all you and I have to do is metaphorically move seats. Take the escape route that God has given us. All you need to do is recognise that that's what's happening and maybe you should say, maybe I shouldn't sit here anymore. Maybe I shouldn't be where I am currently I'm being and that I should move away. I should move away from the temptation. You know, if you're seeking God with all your heart and with all your soul, you will want to be seated alongside him more than anyone or anything else. And certainly more than seated alongside and listening to the empty promises of Satan. Okay, friends, there we are. That's it for today. I do hope you find that helpful. And I do hope that if you're struggling with any of the issues I've talked about today, that you seek answers in his word and that you confess them to the Lord. But then I believe it's also appropriate that you find someone else and confess them to them also. Now that could be another believer who can help support you in the battles that you have, or it could be a professional who can help you make that decision and enable you to move seats, to move away from the whispering of Satan in your ear and the false promises and the lies he gives you into a better place where your life can be uh, more attuned to the will and the plan and purposes of God in your life and the blessings that will come about. Through that, you can have victory through these things. Okay. I'll see you back here next time. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope you find it helpful. And if you have found it helpful in any way, please consider 
sharing it. Go to those corners of the internet that you inhabit and maybe post a link to this series so that other people can also benefit from having the study and the rhythm of the Word of God every day in their lives as well. But that's it for now, and I do trust I'll see you back here tomorrow, or very, very soon, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.